the diving board and the better they are, the less splash of them that they make. It's like a sneeze. When I sneeze, I mean it. When my granddaughter Kelsey sneezes, she goes, Cheet! drives me crazy. So all that to say, you are making a splash, so to speak. You are, your life is an influence. How much of an influence is it? Now, personally, I don't like to be around people who are a cannonball. Just kind of, whoa, that was a little much for me. But you want to be around someone who makes a difference, and you want to make a difference. Most of us think, well, gosh, you know, some people make a difference. I'm not sure I could ever make a difference. And you, you've heard me say this a million times. You are making a difference. What difference are you making? It might not be a broad influence, but you are influencing one way or another. If you think about it, you know, a family has three kids. If they can influence those kids to follow Jesus, then their kids would influence, each of them would influence three to follow Jesus and so forth. It expands pretty quickly. So I want to talk to you today about what difference does it make? What kind of a difference are you making? My friend Ron Mel was uh, kind of a quiet sort of guy normally. But when I was around Ron, I, I just wanted to go be with Jesus. When he'd, when he'd, when he'd preach, I'd, I just want to go home and be with Jesus or go, go love on somebody. So I have a picture in my office at home of Abraham Lincoln and of Winston Churchill. They made a world of difference. Here I have a picture of Ron Mell in my office. He made a difference. What difference are you making? So how would you describe yourself? You know, I, I thought about this the other day. I thought, well, I'm six feet. Well, I was six feet. Now I have to wear my cowboy's boots to be six feet. Shrunk just a little bit, which kind of drives me crazy. I used to weigh 185 pounds. In fact, when Ginger and I got married, I weighed 135 pounds. It's none of your business how much I weigh now. Usually, if we, if we describe ourselves, for men at least, I, I think it's becoming true with women as well, you, somehow in the conversation, your occupation is going to come up. So, so usually, you know, if I'm with somebody that I don't know, at some point they're going to say, well, what do, you, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. I said that to a guy in, in uh, South Carolina a few years ago as a golfing. And I, this guy asked me what I did for a living. I said, I'm a pastor. And I won't tell you the whole conversation, but it was obvious by my response to him that he was thinking Catholic, Anglican or Episcopalian, Baptist. He was thinking, well, what kind of a pastor are you? And I didn't want to tell him four square because of where I was. We'll erase this from the tape. Because I was afraid of the perceptions that he'd have in his mind of me if I said that. I was a little Baptist boy growing up in Redmond, Oregon, and right across the street was a four-square church. And on the, in the summertime, we'd finish church, and they wouldn't be done yet, and there were all kinds of funny noises coming out of that church. I didn't want him to associate that with me. So 
what kind of a pastor are you? I don't believe I'm going to say this, but I will. So this is, this is meant to be funny. Now, you don't have to laugh, but don't get mad, okay? So I didn't want to say I was a Catholic because I didn't want people to think that I thought, well, you baptize somebody when they're a little baby and it's all good. They just go through a class and then take communion once in a while, it's all good. I didn't want them to think I was an Episcopalian because that's kind of like being a Catholic, only now instead of the Pope being the leader of the church, the king or the queen is the leader of the church. I didn't want to say I was a Presbyterian because then it's all decided beforehand, so what, what difference does it make what you do? I didn't want to be a Baptist. My mom wouldn't let me dance. My mom actually said to me one time, she was a Baptist through and through, she actually said one time, she said, well, I said, Mom, why aren't you participating in our church? This was early on. She says, well, she says, I'm going to be a Baptist all my life. And I said, why? She says, well, we're the bride of Christ. And so I said, now tell me, you, so you think you're the bride of Christ and we're not the bride of Christ. She said, well, yeah. Where did you get that? So here's the point I'm making. No matter how you describe yourself, people are going to have perceptions of how you describe yourself, and they may be good, they may be bad. So what do you call yourself as, as, as one of us? Do you call yourself a disciple? That's accurate, but it's kind of old-fashioned or not commonly used enough, might bring some confusion. It means to be a student or a learner. A rabbi would have disciples who followed him and he impacted their behavior and their beliefs. Uh, so are you, are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Christ? That Personally, I like that one the best. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. If you say Christian, I'm a Christian. Oh gosh, that can bring a whole barrage of things, can it? You think about wars, there are Christians fighting on both sides. Second World War, Germans are Christians and we're Christians, both praying to the same God. First World War, you remember the day that they all stopped at Christmas and played soccer together? Christians can mean a lot of different things, can't it? Politics, oh golly, stir up the pot. Did you know that there are actually some Republicans who are Christians? Did you know that there are actually some Democrats who are Christians? Why are you scowling at me, Drew? I speak the truth. <laughs> so, how would you describe yourself? In terms of being a follower of Christ or a disciple, the implication of that term is that Jesus is going to make a difference in your life, and by making a difference in your life, you will make a difference in the life of others. Okay? Now, in our culture... Everybody says, now, you can be a Christian if you want to. You can be whatever you want to. Just keep it quiet. Don't disturb anybody. Don't, don't upset anybody by telling them what you are. 
which, which is kind of interesting to me for lots of reasons. But here's what Jesus said about it. Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. They're, st they're still doubting, which is unbelievable. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. These are his last words on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, keep this thing going. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So he's saying, I'm in charge. You're my disciples. Go make more of you. Baptize them. Teach them to obey me. And I'll be with you every step of the way. That's, that's what that's, that's saying. Another verse that we refer to often is, Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. Now, that's, again, that's influence, isn't it? If you follow me, then I'm going to transform your life where you're making a difference in the lifetime life of other people with your lifestyle and your belief system. So let's talk about beliefs first. He affects our beliefs and our behavior. So beliefs first. What does a follower of Christ believe? What does a follower of Jesus believe? Oh, man. That's a broad subject, isn't it? I'm not going to try and attack that one. Well, I'll give you just the core, okay? Christians believe so many different things. But here's kind of the core of it. Jesus went to heaven. The disciples are gathered in the other upper room waiting, as he told them to. And something happened where it describes what they saw. They saw tongues as a fire distributing themselves on each person. What they heard was a sound like a rushing wind. And then they said something. They were speaking in the tongues of men and of angels, people from all different nations that were represented there understood them speaking in their language, and then Peter stood up and explained by saying, this is what Joel, that Old Testament prophet, said would happen in the last days. And then he started talking about Jesus. Now here's the interesting thing. The crowd that he's talking to were among those, or at least observed them crucifying Jesus. Some people had to, be, had to be thinking, I thought we got rid of that guy. He was a troublemaker. That's why they crucified him. So here's what Peter said. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Now imagine, imagine you're one of those who cheered, crucify him, crucify him. And here's what Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you, to you, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. Golly, just think what you'd be thinking of if you're in a crowd. And they said, you crucified him. You cheered it on when he was being crucified. 
And a few verses later he said, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord, that means he's in charge, and Messiah, the promised king. When the people heard this, notice their response. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In other words, they're convicted of what they had done, the mistake that they had, that they had made. What shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be poured upon you as well. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So there are some important things we, we can glean from that. Write them down in your notes. First of all, Jesus is alive. Now you can say, well, duh. Most, most of you would say, well, pfft. Tell us something we don't know, Pastor. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Do you live like he's alive? Jesus is alive. They crucified him on the cross. Eyewitnesses watched them crucify him. Eyewitnesses saw him after he was raised from the dead. 500 of them. We'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. And the scripture teaches us that he was not only raised from the dead, but he is exalted to the right hand of the Father. He is Lord. So Jesus is alive, number one. Number two, the important thing that we can glean from that passage is repent. Change your mind about Jesus. Repent has all kinds of connotations to it. Repent simply means to change your mind. And if you change your mind, then there will be a resultant change in behavior. Change your mind about Jesus. Thirdly, confess. Agree with God about your sin. So if Jesus is alive, and he is, because we have more than 500 witnesses, and we thought one way about Jesus, how did you used to think about Jesus? I mean, there's lots of ways, but... It, he wasn't, he wasn't your Lord. You weren't following him. You sinned and you didn't, you didn't agree with him about sin. But if he is Lord, he's alive. If this guy was really raised from the dead and he is, at Lord, he is Lord at the right hand of the Father, then maybe I should agree with him. Maybe he's right. Confess, agree with God about your sin simply, simply means, confess means agree. If he says it's sin, then I say it's sin. Okay? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We talked a few, a few weeks ago about the fact the one thing God is asking you to do is agree with him. I agree that that was sin. Agree and you'll be forgiven. Then here's the big one. The foundation of our faith is that Jesus died for your sin, was buried, and was raised on the third day. Now you might want to look this up and read it later when you're doing your devotions. 1 Corinthians 15, the first six verses. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So here, here he's saying, here comes the gospel, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. 
By this gospel you are saved. So that's pretty important. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received and passed on to you as of first importance is this. Notice again. Christ died for our sins. He paid your penalty. I was watching a movie yesterday with Ginger and, and uh, this, this, guy was, this guy was standing in front of the ruler of this Scots tribe and a woman had committed a crime. And he had compassion for this woman and he didn't want to see her beaten because she, she would be beaten with fists for this crime. And he stood up and he says, I'll take her punishment for her. And this guy hit him in the stomach. He hit him in the back. He hit him in the face. And finally when blood came, okay. Jesus took your punishment. That's a pretty big deal. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, notice this, and Paul knows these people. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. In other words, go talk to him, go ask him. Now, here's the way I want you to think about that. If Tom came up and said to me, Stan, I saw him alive. Oh, come on. I saw him die on the cross. Now, I know Tom. He might say, are you calling me a liar? I saw him. Go talk to Sandy. She saw him too. And then on and on and on, 500 people saw him alive. The next point I want you to fill in is acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want to say something to you. The devil believes that Jesus Christ is, is, is the Lord. He believes that. He knows that. The question is, is he your Lord? He is Lord. He is ruling and reigning in the universe. But he is, is he your Lord? Is he, is he the boss of your life is the way some, some people say it. Paul said, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So Jesus died for our sins, went to the grave, was raised from the dead by the Father to prove who he was, to overcome death. You will not die if you believe in him because he overcame death. Where, O oh, death is your sting. And he exalted him to the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns far above all rule, all authority, all power, every name that is named. There's nobody more powerful. The question is, is there anybody more powerful in your life? So uh, I'm going to skip the, I'm gonna skip the next, next verse. 18. To come follow me means that Jesus will impact your life. In other words, you believe something about Jesus, but if you are following Jesus, it will change your behavior. A disciple didn't just believe something. They followed Jesus around and he talked to them. He prayed with them. He led them. He, he was an example for them. And their lives changed. 
So the question that I have today is, what difference does it make to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What difference does it make? Now, one of my favorite, favorite stories of all time, I think maybe I told you this a year or two ago. Uh, I was taking golf lessons from a guy out at Yellowstone Country Club, and he... he uh, Graciously said, "I'll give sure I'll give you a golf lesson." So I went out and and uh, he showed me how to hold my club. And he he had a bunch of balls over here, and he'd take a ball and he'd kick it over to where I was, and I'd swing, swing again, swing again. I was going all over the place. And so he he gave me a couple of tips: swing again, go all over the place. Give me another same tips again. He did that two or three times to give him the same tips, and then, then he looked at me and says, when are you going to figure out your way doesn't work? Gosh, hurt my feelings. You know, that's true of you, and it's true of me and our relationship with Jesus. When are you going to figure out your way doesn't work? That's what gets us in trouble. He tells us what to do. He makes it clear. When are you going to figure out your way doesn't work? Because look what's happening. It's going all over the place. Let me put it a different way. Bob Ames gave me a golf lesson one time. He's a golf pro too. He's out at Briarwood. And he took me out on the, on the golf range. And he says, take a few swings. So I took a few swings. And I am, I am an ugly golfer. So I'd take a few swings and, you know, get a couple right. And then it would go off this way or go off this way. And, then he took me over and we chipped a little bit and we putted a little bit and he gave me instructions. And then he said, okay, we're going to go back to the range. And he says, I'm going to set up a video camera and we're going to take a picture of your swing. I thought, oh, no. So he, took, he videoed my swing and he said, I want you to take this home and I want you to watch it. It'll really help you. I couldn't believe what I saw. Now, I'm still a horrible golfer, and that's part of my point is I've never figured out my way doesn't work when I'm golfing. But when it comes to the Lord, I, I thought about this with, with regard to Bob Ames. He's just a terrific person. And I thought if somebody walked up and, and said to Bob, they were watching me play, and they said to Bob, do you teach him how to play? No way. <laughs> He's not my disciple. What about Jesus? What am I going to figure out my way doesn't work? It's important for lots of reasons, but I want to make Jesus proud of me. I want Jesus to say, see, see how he lives? I'm proud of him. He gets it. He understands. And you want Jesus to be proud of you too. So the question is, what difference is it making in our life? We have a belief system, and most of us have a pretty good belief system. But then comes behavior. Listen to this behavior verse, Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, so that's the position you go from, you're holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. 
Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against you, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. It's a pretty good list, isn't it? How to live. And then he says, above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So take kindness, compassion, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, bearing with each other, and then just wrap them in love. And Jesus is going to be proud of you. That's what that's saying. So we, you say, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said that. Say, so, well, there's got to be more to it than that. I'll put it this way. The command of Jesus is very simple, but it's very demanding. It's not hard to understand. But to live that out is a very challenging and difficult thing. A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so that so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, I'll give you some marriage counseling for those of you who are married. You want to know how to have a good marriage? Love your wife like Jesus loves you. Love your husband like Jesus loves you. Well, got to be more to it than that. No, that's it. You do that, you're good. I mean, think about it. Well, yeah, but you don't know him. Yeah, I probably do. <laughs> I know me. You want to have good friends? Treat them like Jesus treats you. Love them. You want to have an influence in people's lives? Love them like Jesus loves you. Oh, come on, preacher, there's got to be more to it than that. That's not what Jesus said. You, you, can, take, you can take your Bible, and you can take that first, first part, the Old Testament, and you can say, Jesus said everything in this adds up to love God and love people. That's it. And then in the New Testament, I've said this to you before, Paul's letters, first half of every letter is, here's how God treats you, here's what God did for you. Second half is, here's how you do the same thing for others. Treat people like God treats you. It's too simple, isn't it? It's simple, but it's demanding. So, I know from my own experience I mean, I'm old, and I'm still getting stuff. <laughs> the longer you live, the more you realize, you know, I failed again. And you're not going to walk out this door and live out, love God and love people perfectly. But maybe you could make some progress. Maybe I could make some progress. Maybe the Lord would bring to your mind, one relationship where you're not loving someone very well. Could I challenge you this week and the next and the next and the next? Figure out how you can love them. Well, you don't know them. doesn't matter if I know them or not. Jesus told us even to love our enemies. 
doesn't mean you like them. It doesn't mean you feel good about them. It doesn't mean you agree with them. It simply means that your heart toward them is not vindictive, and I want you to go to hell. My heart toward you is, I want Jesus to reveal himself to you, and I want you to go to heaven with me. I bet every one of us have a relationship that we can think about where I haven't loved them perfectly, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to love them better. What does God's love require of me in that person's life? And here's the bottom line. When Jesus makes a difference in me, I will make a difference in others. So as I understand the love of God for me, I'm going to love others better. I'll tip you off to next week a little bit. Is there any reason why God shouldn't love the world? Does he? Is there any reason why God shouldn't love you? Oh, let me count the ways. Is there any reason why God shouldn't ask you to love people like he loves you? There isn't, is there? So Lord, today, this is something that, gosh, I've heard this most of my life. But Lord, maybe there'd be a little tweak today where we'd get it just a little bit deeper. We'd understand it a little bit further. There'd be one person that you'd bring to our mind that we could love a little better. I pray that for every one of us, Lord, we would allow your work to be active in our life in a way that we would get it. Lord, we've made a mess so many times. Our way doesn't work very well. Help us learn your way. Help us learn the way of love. I wonder if, if there's anyone here this morning, just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I wonder if there's anybody here today that not asking you if you believe that Jesus is Lord. I'm not asking you if you've taken communion or been baptized. I'm not asking you if you say you're a Christian. I'm asking you, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Have you put your faith in him? Have you accepted the fact that he paid for your sins? Gosh, that would change your life right there. He paid my sins. He doesn't want me to pay. He paid you want to step across that line of faith today. Say, yes, Jesus. I receive you as the Lord of my life. If you haven't done that yet, everybody else's heads are bowed, their eyes are closed. You know, I'm going to be watching you. Would you just look up at me? I want to embarrass you. just want to acknowledge with you today. You're saying, Pastor, I'm stepping across that line. I want to cross the line of faith today. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to allow him to be the Lord of my life. You slip up your hand. Look at me. Lord, today I, I know how imperfectly I live my life and there are times when my self-will takes control again. So I, like others in this room today, Lord, I just want to raise my hand and say, Lord, I want to take my self-will to the cross. I want to daily, daily, 
take up my cross and follow you. And Lord, that's our commitment to you today in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and let's worship him. Amen.